Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can meet me in Mark chapter 1. I'm excited to start a new a series in Mark. We'll be in it for 48 weeks, so uh, a long time. But I trust that God will really bless. And uh, series called "Come Follow Me." If you remember, as uh, we talked about on Vision Sunday, that our focus is really on equipping the saints for the work of ministry and being called to make disciples. That's in our mission statement. That we want to go back to the beginning and look at, man, what was it like for those who first met Jesus, and what was it like for them to follow Him as His disciples. So we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Mark as the, as the Spirit leads. And uh, as we start this week, there's a theme that comes up that's much needed in the time when Jesus shows up in beginning in Mark chapter 1, and it's the theme of revival. It's the idea that people are dry, and it's been a long time since they've heard a word from the Lord, and this theme of the need for being revived, right? When something, I don't know if you've been there before, but you've been walking with the Lord, and it's like, man, um, this area of my life is just not as passionate as it used to be. Man, I'm in the Word, but I'm just not feeling as connected as I used to feel. It's like dry. Man, I remember back. It's like we start looking backwards. That's how you know when you need the Lord to revive you. It's like the good old days are behind us. And the question is, is God still doing that for his people? Is he still showing up and reviving? Yes, all across the country all around the world. In fact, if you've been in the news uh, lately, you've seen what's going on at um, Osbury University. Um, they called the Osbury Revival. And uh, what happened as a basic chapel service, um, the students that had regular chapel service, it continued after everyone left and went back to class. Um, some people stayed back to pray and worship. And for the next few weeks, 24 hours a day, thousands of people they said up to 50,000 people came from all across the country to this college campus because they would not stop praying and singing. 24 hours straight. Just ended last week. So you can't fabricate that. You can't make that. You can't control the spirit. But man, there's some things that happens when he shows up. And the revival was marked by continual prayer nonstop, Continual worship nonstop, and this is always in revival, a continual confession and repentance of sin and seeking the face of God. Over about 50,000 people flocked to this campus. They had to shut it down because so many people were on campus. Let me ask you a question. How is your soul today, my sister? How do you feel today, my brother? Do you feel dry? How is the environment that you are in right now, work, home, school, family, health, are you in need of revival? There's a simple prayer that I want us to focus on. It's actually the title of our message, and here's the prayer that we're going to pray today. Lord, revive me. What if that was just your childlike prayer today? Lord, revive me. Now, here's what I want to show you from this passage as we get ready to jump in uh, Mark, and we're going in this for some weeks. We can't control the spirit. You can't control God. He's God. If you can control him, he wouldn't be God. But you can put yourself in position for him to minister to you. We can't control when revival happens, but we can put ourselves in position for him to refresh us. There are three things in this passage that I want to point out to you that if we do these things, that when you study revival, if these things are present, then it could be that your soul that is dry right now might be refreshed today. And so would you just bow your heads as I pray? I want to just pray for you, and I want to pray for the Lord to meet with us. Let me pray. Lord, you are the God of revival. You speak to a valley of dry bones, and you give them life. Oh, Father, you are the one who raises the dead. And God, I believe right now there are some souls in this room. There are some hearts that are listening online, and they love you, but man, do they feel dry. Man, do they feel weary. God, I can't make anything happen, but I just pray that this morning revival would be birthed in the heart of the men and women who are listening to the sound of my voice. 
that it wouldn't be me, but it would be you showing up because, God, we cannot go another week feeling dry, looking for everything else to quench our thirst. And so would you have your way here this morning? Will we come to you like little children, holding your hand and just saying, oh, Dad, would you quench our thirst? Have your way this morning. Lord, it is our prayer this morning. Lord, revive me. Revive me. In Jesus' name, all of God's children said, amen. Now, real quick, before we even get into the first point, as we um, start this book of Mark, I just want to kind of give you a historical background. Um, who is Mark? Right? We're writing a gospel. We're reading a gospel that was written by someone named Mark. I just have a couple facts for you here. Um, Mark, um, he's actually known as John Mark. Um, his family is from Jerusalem. The first time we really hear him mentioned is Acts chapter 12. Remember when Peter was in prison? And the miraculous miracle of the angels who set him free and opened the, the, the jail cell and got him out of there. And the scripture says in Acts chapter 12 that the church was praying for Peter. Remember, it says that the church gathered together and they were praying at Mary's house, right? Mark's mother. So the disciples really uh, used to hang out with Mark's mom and Mark used to be around. And even Peter that night when the Lord uh, freed him from that prison cell, the first place he went was to Mark's house. Uh, we know that Mark... Uh, is the cousin of Barnabas, and um, we find that Mark uh, got into it with Paul uh, because uh, Paul and Barnabas got into a little fight. How many people know that even godly people can get after it? I wish it wasn't that way. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote a whole chapter on if I don't love, I'm nothing, and it said they had a sharp disagreement. That's a Christian way of putting it. But they were getting into an argument because when Mark came on the mission trip, we're talking about going to Puerto Rico, and when Mark came on the mission trip, for some reason, we don't know what happened, but halfway through the trip, he said, I'm out, and he bounced. And when Paul and them got persecuted, Mark ran. So when they came back, and it was time to go back on the mission trip again, Barnabas was like, hey, well, you know, uh, how about Mark comes along? Paul said, I ain't doing that, man. We're not doing that again. They got to a big fight, and they split up. Well, it's amazing how the Spirit works through reconciliation, because what you find is at the end of Paul's life, when he's in prison, he's about to be executed. Guess who's with him? Mark. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter refers to Mark as his son. In church history, and most of the church fathers say that Peter was the one who discipled Mark. The Coptic church, the ancient Coptic church, out of their tradition, they see Mark, the Coptic church in Egypt, see Mark as its founder. And most church fathers, historical in the early church, would say that Mark was crucial in bringing the gospel to Africa, that it was Mark who brought the gospel to Egypt and Africa. Mark that we're looking at is the oldest account, gospel account, more before Matthew, before Luke, before John. It's the oldest account that we have, the earliest account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And almost everyone unanimously agrees that Mark is actually writing for Peter. He's writing down Peter's memories, which is why Mark is shorter. It's quick because you know anything about Peter. He's short, sweet, and to the point. But it's also written to persecuted Christians in Rome. And so that's this little background on Mark. So when we are talking about Mark and the writer of the Gospels, we know who we're talking about. But back to now this concept and this prayer of, Lord, revive me. There's three things that must happen in order for your heart to experience revival and here's the first thing that we learn in Mark is this. There must be a path for Jesus. In order for you to experience revival in your soul, you feel dry, you feel refreshed, there must be a clear path for Jesus to you. Here we are in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV, and it reads as thus. It says, in the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just stop there, this first uh, verse is considered to be the title of the whole book. It's the whole theme of what Mark is getting after. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, and as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, this is referring to John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Let me just stop here. It opens up with, uh, with Mark uh, starting with, yeah, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything I'm about to say to you is the, is the story of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But then he starts with this man named John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? And it's good for us to highlight that because we're going to mention him quite a little bit in the beginning. Just a quick couple of fun facts about John the Baptist. Um, Luke's gospel tells us that John's conception, his birth was a miracle. You can read about that in Luke. John is Jesus's birth cousin. John's birth was announced by the angel Gabriel. That's amazing. In fact, when his mother came, uh, the angel came and spoke to his family, it was commanded that John should never drink alcohol and that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. And you read that in Luke, that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while his mother was six months pregnant. Says a lot about what can happen in a womb, right? And his life was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so John is a key figure that we'll see here. And when we're talking about John right now, we're talking about John the Baptist. And now here we are, look back now in verse 2, as it refers to John the Baptist. It says, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. He's preparing the way for the Messiah to come. That's Jesus. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This verse is a verse that is prophesied about John the Baptist's life. Isn't that amazing to think that your life was like written in Scripture? And this verse of, uh, which, which it says is quoting from Isaiah, is actually quoting from two verses. Uh, uh, Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40 is written about John the Baptist. The Malachi chapter 3, I have it on the screen for you. This is where it's quoting from. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a, prepare a way before me. That's referring to John the Baptist. Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice, cries in the, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So it's written about his life. Now, let me just give you a context of their world and what's happening right here. Jews right now in this world, in this time when John is, uh, is coming up and he's coming on the scene and Mark is writing, Jews are experiencing um, Roman oppression. They're being overtaxed. Their land has been taken over, and there's a lot of oppression from Rome. There's racial and ethnic tension right now in this setting between Jews and Gentiles, and the fact that Romans are oppressing them, they really aren't happy. There's also a division into different religious groups amongst God's people. You got the Pharisees, you got the Sadducees, you got the Essenes, you got all these different people. Same way today, you got all these different denominations. And the culture is marked by a dry religious routine. Let's go to the temple, sacrifice our animal. Go to the temple, sacrifice our animal. Let's go to church on Sunday, get my tithes and offering, get a word, go home. Get up, do my devotions. Check. So there's this dry religious routine. And listen, God's presence at this point hadn't fallen on them for close to 500 years. This is the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's about four or five hundred years. It's called the intertestamental period. They haven't had a prophet in almost 500 years since they came out of Babylon. It's been crickets. Anybody in need of revival? Anybody waiting to hear? I ain't heard a word from the Lord in a long time. This is the context. And now here's John the Baptist coming on the scene. And John's message to a people in need of revival is this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Get out the way. Jesus is coming. Make his path straight. What am I saying to you this morning, my brothers and sisters? In order for you to experience revival in Jesus, there must be a straight path for Jesus to you. You ever seen like celebrities? You ever been somewhere a celebrity is coming through or the mayor is coming through or the president's coming through in a crowd? What they say? Clear it out. Get out the way. 
coming through. Move out the way. Move out the way. The security team, get out the way. Get out the way. Make the path what? Straight. She's coming through. He's coming through. Make the path straight. If you ever flown on an airplane, right? What do you need to land? A runway. It's got to be clear. If something's on that runway, the plane will circle. Can't land. And it can't be a runway that zigzags. It's got to be a clear path. No clear path, I can't land. If you want to experience Jesus and be revived when your heart is dry, when your soul is dry, there can be no objects in his way. And there must be a clear path from Jesus to your heart. Everybody's like, man, I'm waiting on Jesus. It seems like revival's happening anywhere. I'm so dry. Is there anything blocking him from getting to your heart? Let me ask you this morning, my siblings, is there a clear path from Jesus to your heart right now? Clear path. All I'm here this morning to do is to tell you to make the way straight. Are there things in the way? The word for the Lord for you this morning is prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. He's not trying to trip over stuff. There is no revival without things being exposed and moved to the side. And so maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know. Is there any things in my... I want to give you five common obstacles. I got them for you on the screen. Five common obstacles. Sin. People. I always talk about the nouns. People. Places, things, plans. That's why whenever we come before the Lord, what do we do? We confess our sin and repent. Right? We confess why I don't want nothing getting in the way of his presence, of him. So I have to bring my sin before him. Look what they're doing. Look again. Verse 5. Well, actually, verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness Proclaiming a baptism of what? Repentance. Repentance is when you turn away from something and turn to God. You can't turn to Jesus if there's nothing to turn away from. Look, it says, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, uh, in the river Jordan. What? Confessing their sins. We still serve a holy God. And even though you're saved and you're in Christ, fellowship can be broken. David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a plea for for revival. Revive me, Lord. I know you still love me. I know you will never leave me or forsake me, but I can't sense your presence right now because I've been coddling this thing. Sin can get in the way. People can get in the way. Relationships, family, friends. Are the people in your life blocking you from, blocking Jesus from getting to your heart? Are there places? You just work so many hours. Work consumes you. You can't even think about Jesus. Are there things in the way? You can't put your phone down. You can't get off social media. You love watching this show, Netflix and chill every night. There's just something you like. There's things you like to do, and they just get in the way. Exercise. You're a gym rat. You're always working out. Nothing wrong with taking care of your body and being a good steward, but gets in the way. You got more time for the gym than your word. Plans. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to do this. That's all great. Did Jesus tell you to do that? And you're so busy with all these plans, and they get in the way. Yes, we can have things that get in the way of Jesus getting to us. Not only, but here's the thing. Not only can people and things be in the way of Jesus in our lives, we can actually get in the way of Jesus getting to other people. We can get in his way. So I want you to hear, make his path straight. And you think like, yeah, I got to get everything out my way. Maybe you need to get out somebody's way. I'm reminded of when it was, I believe it was a Palm Sunday in the Gospel of John, and everybody's coming looking for Jesus. And it says the Greeks came looking for Jesus. 
And look what happens in John 12, 21. It's the Greeks came looking for him, and it says this. So these came to Philip, that's one of the disciples, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I love that. They came from far away. I'm not here to see you, uh, Philip. I'm not here to see you, Pastor John. Sir, I just want to see Jesus. <laughs> Maybe people are saying that to you, sis. Love it. I just want to see Jesus. It's very simple. People just want to see Jesus, and we want everyone to see us. Here's a look at me. This is a look at me country. Even invented the selfie. <laughs> right? Like, look at me. Look at me. That's the problem. Look at him. I remember uh, recently we went to, you know, I'm a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan, and we played the Bears. And so we went to the Bears game as a family, and so we got some really good seats, and we get to Soldier Field, and we're, we're there, and um, we're at the Bears game, and it's different than, like, the Bulls games, because we go to the Bulls game. The Bulls game, people actually sit down. At the Bears game, like, if you got, like, anything, like, mid-level and low, everybody stands up. I'm like, there shouldn't be no seats down here. And so the game starts, we do the national anthem, and I'm ready to go sit down, and everybody's still standing. Mind you, it's single digits with the wind blowing 30 miles an hour. It is hawking out there. And so me, Danielle, Ben, and Judah were there, and everybody's, you know, the game starts, and I hear Judah, and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, I can't see. And I go, oh, you know. So I pick him up, put the chair down. He's standing on the chair, and I'm like, can you see? And he's like, yeah, yeah, now I can see. And nobody in front of him is thinking about getting out the way. But he can't even enjoy the game because people are in his way. So often, that's the same way it is with us. It's like, man, I can't see. This person's in the way. That person's in the way. This conflict's in the way. This situation's in the way. These Christians arguing is in the way. My job's in the way. Bro, you're in the way. Like, I just want to see Jesus. I don't need all the fluff. I don't need all the extra stuff. Just give it to me straight. I just want to see Jesus. Sometimes you got to get out the way and pick people up and say, can you see now? Yeah, I can see. There's a clear path. I can see. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting in the way of others seeing Jesus? What's so amazing about John the Baptist's life that we'll see is that everything about John the Baptist's life was meant to point people to Jesus. He says stuff like, I must decrease so he can increase. I love it. All right? Like, man, I'm not the one. He's the one. Amen. May this be our prayer this Sunday. Lord, revive me. Lord, revive me. And if you are to experience revival then there must be a path for Jesus, a clear path from him to your heart. Nothing in the way. Move it out the way this week. Is there a clear path for him? But here's the second thing that there must be for Jesus. Jot this down. There must be a place for Jesus, a place for him to meet you. So there has to be a path. There's a red carpet, right? Even as I'm looking right now, there's a clear path down the aisle here. Right? There has to be a path. you got to move things out of the way, and you have to say, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Right? See if there be any wicked way in me right? and lead me in the way. So, Lord, like, show me, God, what's in the way, Jesus, of you getting to my heart. My heart is so restless right now, Lord. I wouldn't even know what's in the way. Things I think are good which actually are good, I can make a stumbling block. So now once that in a way, once you got that going, the place. Now what's interesting about this passage is there's a place that's mentioned twice. Verse 2 through 4, and let's see if you can identify it. No, verse 3 and 4. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the Notice where all of this is happening. In the wilderness. Not the palace. So many people want to serve in the palace. John's in the wilderness. What is the wilderness? What is it marked by? The wilderness is marked, marked by a land or a place that is uncultivated. Ain't nothing growing there. It's uninhabited, inhabited. People ain't living, everybody ain't rushing to the wilderness to go set up shop. They're running from the wilderness. There's no water, there's no food, there's no fruit, there's no sustenance for life. It's barren and dry. 
That's the wilderness. Are you in the wilderness right now? Dry. It looks fruitless, man. I don't see no fruit in this season. I don't see nothing growing. I'm serving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Ain't no nothing growing on there. There's no tree here for nothing to grow on. Are you in the wilderness right now? I'm thirsty. I can't find a lake anywhere to quench my thirst. Now, here's one thing that I know about you, beloved. You don't like being in the wilderness. None of us like being in the wilderness. There's one person who likes being in the wilderness. God does. Because it's in the wilderness that we are stripped of everything. God, before God can fill you with himself, he must first empty you of everything. If you want to fill that cup with orange juice, you got to make sure it's empty of everything else. If you said, Pastor John, I want a cup of olive, a fresh glass of orange juice, and I had 10% milk in there, it's a little bit, you know, I dumped most of the milk out, but I left a little bit. Nah, I want orange juice. You got to dump that milk out, rinse the cup out, clean it out, pour in some fresh orange juice. I'm just telling you, nugget of wisdom. If you want the Lord to fill you with all of him, he must empty you of all of everything else. Everything. He doesn't share. He either takes all of you or none of you. He's not an 80% God. He's not a 95%. He's not a 99.9% God. Either I got all of you or I got none of you. And if you want all of me, I got to empty you of everything, including yourself. Now, it's interesting, when you study in Scripture, when God wants to revive and reveal himself, he often leads his people into the wilderness. Just, just start from Genesis and go to Revelations. And whenever God wants to revive his people, he leads them into the wilderness. Look again in verse 4 and 5. Look, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. So if you want to experience revival and the presence of God, you got to leave Jerusalem and Judea and where you got to go. It's crazy. When God went to go deliver the Hebrews from Egypt, where did he take them first? You know what's crazy? Everybody always quotes the first part of Moses' sermons to Pharaoh, and they never finish the rest of the verse. Let's just look at Exodus 5.1. Listen to this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. That's where everybody stops. Keep reading. That they may hold a feast to me, worship me. Where? In the wilderness. Let them go. Here's what I want them to do. Worship me. Where? In the wilderness. The Jews wanted God to give them land. God wanted to give them himself. He is the promised land. That's what he was trying to teach them. I am the promised land. And if you don't get that, if my presence isn't everything to you, and you don't get that, when I give you this land, you will make it your God. So I'm going to take you into the promised land before, by, by taking you to my presence. We're going to go there first into the wilderness. That's the promised land because I am there. We will set up the tabernacle and have service there. I will give you manna, which you have not known. I will give you food from heaven. I will split the rock and give you water in the wilderness. I will lead you by a cloud by day and a fire by night. And all they do every step of the way is ask to go back. Man, we missed the watermelons and the cucumbers. Oh, when you were a slave in the heat? Man, everything was good back there when Pharaoh was getting out on you? We don't know about this leader named Moses. He always on Mount Sinai where he's been going for the last 40 days, praying for you, interceding for you. And what do you do while he's gone? Build a golden calf. Reflecting the gods of Egypt when God is trying to give you his presence. And what's Israel's problem ever since when you read through the Old Testament? God's presence is never enough. God's presence is never enough. Is God's presence enough for you? 
That's the test of the wilderness. Am I enough for you? Ain't nothing growing here. Ain't no water here. Ain't no way for you to live and have a long life here. This is a hard season. This is a hard place. This is where I brought you because I want to know, am I enough for you? Can you say it is well with my soul or does, does the, the land have to be growing? Does there have to be rivers out here for you to say that? You know, there are some signs for you to know if you're in the wilderness. When you're in the wilderness, you start saying stuff like this. Man, it wasn't supposed to be like this. You start saying stuff like, this is not what I had envisioned for my life. I didn't think I'd be doing this in this season of my life. I thought I'd be farther than this by now. Some of you, when you're in the wilderness, you say, I don't want to be here. You don't want to be there. I don't want to be in this. And you say things like, man, it's better if I was to go to. If you want to do a really good Bible study, study all of the locations that Jesus chose to pray. Let me show you just what some of the things you'll find over and over and over. Let's just take Mark 135. We'll be there soon because we're going through Mark. This is what it says in Mark 135, a few verses later, about Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Desolate. Nothing's there. Wilderness. What you doing, Jesus? Going to the wilderness to pray. Luke 5.16 says this about Jesus. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was a regular prayer habit of Jesus. Can you imagine Getting up, disciples, where you going? I'm going on a, let's go on a prayer walk. All right, where we going? Going out in the desert, going in the wilderness. Um, don't you think we're going to be thirsty going out there? Well, if you're with me, I'll give you water. <laughs> You'll never thirst again, he says to the woman at the well. If you drink from me, I am the thirst. I am the thing that quenches your thirst. It's amazing if you study in Scripture how often Jesus would go to the wilderness to pray. And he would often do it before the sun even came up. It's amazing. If you want to be like Jesus, learn to embrace the wilderness. That's where the presence of God and revival happens. But here's another interesting thing, and this is hard for some of us, especially if you're like, man, I want to lay down my life for you, Lord. Not only is the wilderness where revival happens, but if you look in the text, the wilderness is John's calling. That's the place he's called to. Look in verse 2 through 5. Verse, yeah, 2 through 5. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. How many of you would feel so good if that was like, that was written about you in Scripture? I'm going to send her to prepare the way. Oh, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's where he's going to be at. Bro, you can't wiggle out of this one. It was prophesied she was going to be in the wilderness. The, one of, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place that God has placed John to do ministry and serve. He's not called to Jerusalem. He's not called to the palace. In fact, when he gets to the palace, it's because he'll be beheaded. He's called to the desert. Now, maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you feel like this is the story of your life. You like, man, Pastor John, I'm just, man, I just feel my whole life has been in the wilderness. This health issue, this issue over here, I just feel like I live in the wilderness. Well, let me just say, if revival often happens in the wilderness, then it sounds like God has led you to the right place to experience his presence if you will just see things differently and stop thinking about Egypt for a moment. Don't look forward to the promised land. Don't look back at Egypt. Look for the presence of God. Could it be that he's just trying to revive you and he has taken you into a place where his presence will be the most significant thing to you? I was talking with a sister this morning. We were just talking about pain and trauma. And the question kept coming up is, man, how do you stay humble and how do you stay focused on the Lord? It's like, well, when you're in the wilderness all the time, he teaches you either my presence is going to satisfy you or nothing else will. The doctors can't do it. Who you marry can't do it. 
Your bank account can't do it. Your pastor can't do it. Your job, none of that. Either he's going to water your soul or no one else will. Now, this may be your prayer today. May this be your prayer. Lord, revive me. If revival is to happen in your heart and in your life, there must be a path for Jesus and there must be a place for Jesus. Here's the last thing. There must be a preparation for Jesus, meaning that you are preparing to meet with him. So verse 6 says this, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, imagine that. (laughs) Brother got on camel's hair, a leather belt, and what you eating? Locusts and wild honey. There's a picture there of reminding people of the prophet Elisha. Remember, we just did the life of Elisha? And John is a picture of Elisha, but it describes how he's living in the wilderness. Camel's hair, a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and honey. You're like, man, why are you eating locusts and honey? Because that's all there is to eat out here (laughs) when you're in the wilderness. (laughs) Bugs and honey. Verse 7 And he preached, saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I. I love that humility. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I I can't even untie Jesus' shoestrings. I'm so unworthy. Verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this. John in verse 7 and 8, we can learn a lot from him and his humility. He says, I'm not even worthy to tie Jesus' shoe or untie his shoe. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. I love this. John is saying to everyone here, I can't do for you what he can do for you. (laughs) See, I can cleanse you with water. I can dip you down in water, but he can cleanse you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. I can't do for you what he can do for you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, not just from your pastor. But people can't do for you what he can do for you. Let me say that for somebody who needs to hear that. We can't do for you what he can do for you. You want to make your life a wreck? Put people in his place and try to make them your savior. You know how much arguments get into people making someone their savior? Why you ain't return my call? Why you ain't do this? Why you ain't do that? Man, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't be with you everywhere you're going every five seconds. Right? I can't, I'm not your savior. There's, there's a list of things that Danielle will never be able to do for me. And there's a list of stuff I will never be able to do for her. There's some parts of my heart and soul she can never hit that button. Only Jesus can touch that area. And if you look and you're like, well, man, if I just marry this person, that, that itch will finally get scratched. No, it won't. Two weeks afterwards, you'll still love that person, but that itch will still be there. That's why we chase sin. If I, just, if, I just, if I just grab this thing and I just seek this pleasure, and afterwards, how do you feel? Like trash. Man, I did that again. I watched that again. I ate that again. I drank that again. I did that again. I snapped again. I lost my anger again. I... It was so empty, right? You thought it would please you and, and fill that void, but then after you was done and you repent, you're like, man, here I am back at ground zero, and I feel worse. John says, I can cleanse you with water, but he can cleanse you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. He says, I baptize you. That's the Greek word baptismo. And he will ba- I, will ba- I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That word baptismo means to ceremonially cleanse. It means to submerge, to engulf or to plunge. He's saying, I can submerge you in water in the Jordan River, but he can plunge you into the Spirit. He could plunge you and engulf you in himself. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. Come down on someone, empower them for something, go. Come down on the prophet, empower them for something, go. Come down on Samson, help him for a little bit, go. But when Jesus got out of that tomb, and them saints was praying in the upper room, Jesus gave them the plan, hey, I want you to go into all Judea and Samaria, do all that, make disciples, but don't do anything until you get the power from the Holy Spirit. Can't have you doing nothing in your own strength. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, right? And you'll be my witnesses. 
And Jesus says that, that we're sealed with his spirit. It's like the receipt. It's the, it's the receipt you got, right? So he's, we've been filled with his spirit. His spirit will never leave us. So revival is essentially, I have it for you here on the screen. Revival is a fresh awakening to the spirit by the spirit that increases your ability to sense and enjoy the presence, glory, and person of Jesus Christ. Essentially, if you say what revival is, it's you saying, Lord, revive me through your spirit. It's an awakening by the Holy Spirit within you that increases your ability to sense Jesus, to enjoy Jesus. That's what worship is. His presence, his glory, and the person of Christ. That's what was happening on Osbury University. People was willing to get things out of the way. Confessing sin, repenting of stuff, and the Spirit showed up, and nobody wanted to leave. Why? Because when the Spirit shows up and awakens you, and you're filled with this Holy Spirit, he increases your ability to sense Now I'm aware of and I enjoy the presence of God. I see the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ, and it's so sweet to my soul, I don't want to leave. I know we got class right now, but I'm not going nowhere because this tastes better than anything else. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So when you're praying for revival, you're saying, Lord, awaken in me what has been dead and dry. I want to taste and see what we said this morning, right? Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. I need you to satisfy me. That's what revival is, is being satisfied and not wanting to go anywhere. We're seeking the Spirit. So Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? When, when someone's drunk, what do you say? Oh, she's under the influence. Oh, he can't drive because he's under the influence. He says, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be completely under the influence of the Spirit. Let that be what's guiding your thoughts, your minds, your actions. That's called walking in the Spirit. And that word there, be filled, is in the active tense in the Greek, meaning ongoing. You could say it like, keep being filled. I say it this way. One salvation, you only get saved once, you don't need to get saved over and over. One indwelling, the Spirit fills you, but many fillings. One salvation, one indwelling, but many feelings. That's why when you get up, you say, Lord, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit of presence. Why are you praying that? Like he's gone. He didn't go anywhere. Your ability to sense him is gone. That's what you're asking for because you can quench the spirit. You can put the fire out. You can have a great time at church this morning. And as soon as you leave here, within the next hour, you're going to be tempted to grab something, do something that's going to quench the spirit. So you can leave here all excited all rejuvenated, all revived, and then you can literally get in your car, read a text message, and it's gone. She just said, what? That's why Jesus says, abide, cling to me, moment by moment, second by second, pray without ceasing, pray all the time, pray in the spirit, constantly talk to me, because like this, the fire can go out. Now you're back in your own strength, and you're praying again, Lord, revive me. Dry souls need the awakening of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is not the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to tell people. I'm not that dude. I baptize you with water, but the one that's coming, he can baptize you with the Spirit. And so John is preparing the way, though. Notice, though, even though he says this, he's preparing the way. It says in verse 2 and 3, Behold, I send my messenger who will go before you. Prepare your way, right? He will prepare your way, verse 3. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So when you are moving things out of the way, you making his path straight, you are preparing yourself to experience his presence. God, I'm getting sin out of the way. I'm getting people, places, and things and plans out of the way. I'm embracing that I'm in the wilderness. I'm embracing where you have me right now. And God, I'm preparing myself to meet with you. I can't control you. You're God. I can't make you do anything. But you know what? I could put myself in position for you to meet me. Get whatever I need to get out of the way. You cannot control the spirit, but you can prepare yourself to be filled afresh with him and by him.
So one thing I said, remember when I told you we went to um, the Eagles game? Uh, so one thing, before we left the house, I said to Judah, I said, Judah, because Judah, he, he literally sleeps with his football. He sleeps with the gloves on. It's borderline idolatry. I'm like, Judah, listen, put the football somewhere. Right? So before we leave, I said, Judah, why don't you bring your football? We got some good seats. You never know. You might meet one of the Eagles players, and they might give you an autograph. He's like, oh, you know, that'll never happen. I was like, just grab your football. So he grabbed his football. I went to CVS. I got one of those big markers. And so we get to the, the Eagles game. I'm like, you know, we get down. Where we're sitting at in row 10, you can walk right down to the bottom, which is the edge, and the field is right here. So we get there early. They're like, yeah, y'all can go down. So we're right down here. Here's what Judah's seeing. I have a video for you on the screen right here. Here's what Judah's seeing. Judah, you all right? All right, so we are in the wilderness. It's cold, y'all. It's cold, 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 cold. And so we get down front. There's nothing in the way of Judah and these players. And there's a kid next to Judah, and this kid is just yelling out to all the Eagles players, hey, Jalen, would you sign my jersey? Jalen, Jalen. He's shouting out, Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell, A.J. Brown, would you, would you sign my jersey? It's like 30 minutes of just this, and I'm sitting down there. And Judah, every now and then, he'll get a little courage. He's balled up in a cocoon, as you can see. And he's like, hey, my, hey, can you sign my football? Can you sign? You know, a little cute voice. You just want to cry. And at one point, one of the Eagles starting running back runs over to Judah. He said, give me your football. And Judah's so shocked, and he doesn't want to get out of the, the stuff. He's in the cocoon. He's just saying, I'm like, Judah, give me, you know, Judah. And so then I grabbed the football, and I'm like, here you go. And he's signing. I started giving him the gospel. I was like, hey, brother, I'm praying for you, man, the Lord, you know. And so <laughs> it was so awkward. I ain't going to lie. I ain't going to lie. It was, it was awkward. It was awkward. Yeah, I was that guy in that moment. It was awkward. Because he was like, what's it? You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to pray. And so he's like, hey, thank you. So he's signing Judas football, and then some of the Eagles wide receivers come over. And they're like, they're like, hey, throw us the football. And I'm like, I'm like, Judah, throw, throw the football. And so I grab the football and I throw it to the wide receiver. And then he grabs the football and he throws it back. And it hits Judah and it's like, boom. And it's just like, and Judah's just sitting there. And I'm like, Judah, you know. And then so clearly he wasn't going to play catch and it wasn't going to work. So they went back and they, they started doing their stuff. Now here's the point. Judah couldn't control if someone would sign his football or not. But there was nothing in his path for him to them. Imagine if Judah would have said, man, it's too cold out here. I, I'm, I'm leaving. What Judah said was, God, I know it's cold out here and I'm in the wilderness. But I want my football signed. He's prepared himself. He brought his football. He's got his marker and he's in position. What am I saying to you? Some of you need to be like Judah. The football is your heart. And the marker is the word of God. And what you need to do this week is you need to get everything out of the way and go right down to the bottom. And I'm telling you, with tears in your eyes, you need to say, Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you sign my football? Jesus, would you sign my football right here? Right here, Lord. I know it's cold, but I'm willing to stay out here if you assign my football. And don't be surprised if he comes over to you and say, give me, give me your heart. Give me your football. I'll sign that. And don't be surprised if he wants to stay and play catch. That's intimacy. The football is your heart. And the marker is the word of God. And some of you, that's what you're crying. Jesus, would you revive me? Right here. I'm not leaving. It's cold. I'm bundled up. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. But would you revive me? Now, here's, I want to end with this. If you sit here and you're like, well, Pastor John, that sounds good. But Jesus, I don't know if he would do that for me in this season. I just want to read some words from Jesus himself. Luke 11, 11 to 13. Listen to Jesus. What father among you, 
If his son asks for a fish, will give him, give instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God won't deny anyone who wants more of his presence. That's what he created you for. So today, you can start, my brother, my sister, with this prayer. Lord, revive me. Jesus, would you, would you sign my football? Then remember, there must be a path for Jesus, clear path from him to your heart. There must be a place for Jesus, and beloved, it's often the wilderness. And there must be a preparation for Jesus. Get what you need to, get your ball, get your marker ready, get your heart ready, get, your, get your, the word ready, and just show up and just say, Lord, if you would just sign it, I'll never be a saint. Let's pray. Lord, would you show us this morning the things that are blocking us from getting to you, what sin is getting in the way, what people have gotten in the way, what places are getting in the way, what things are getting in the way, what plans have gotten in the way. God, would you, would you remind us that when you lead us into the wilderness, it's to revive us, not to destroy us? And forgive us, God, for complaining every five seconds and desiring to run back to Egypt. We're so quick to say, Lord, would you finally give me the promised land, that thing I wanted? And you're like, man, if I don't give you myself and satisfy you with me, you'll make what I want to give you an idol. God, would you help us to prepare? Yes, it's cold outside. Yes, the wind is blowing. Feels like negative 10 out. But God, if we will get down close and get whatever out the way, if we'll still bring our football, even if we don't believe it'll get signed, if we'll go to CVS and buy that marker and be like those two kids crying out, would you, would you sign this for me? Oh Lord, revive us. So God, I just pray right now that that would be the cry of our heart today. And may that be the mark of this sermon series, God. If it takes us 48 weeks of being in the wilderness for you to sign our hearts, God, I pray that we'll never be the same after studying this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Sermons. Join us next week.